0: Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community, for the community, for any community, for all communities, virtual, digital, and everything else. This is episode number 35. Hey, it's Chris Dancy, and I'm here with my most articulate, and as I said last time, omnipresent co-host, Mr. Troy Dumoulin. Hey, Chris, how you doing today? Fine, Troy. Uh, so the listeners don't get to know this, but we always we always chat before we go on the air, and then it always like influences our our, our chat. When we're on there, because we're like, we have to remember that no one heard what we just said before we started recording.
1: I know we kind of get into it before we get into it, you know. I know. I always say, don't don't ruin the magic. Don't yes, you, you do? Don't, don't All right, ruin the but ma- we know we haven't gone too far down the path yet, so let's let's rewind this a bit.
0: Can we get some rewind? Uh, 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 Ross, Ross, can you? Can we get some time machine backward travel sound? Perfect. We
1: actually are going to do a couple things backward today, aren't we? In fact, this is opposite day. I'm excited because I get to interview you in your subject area expertise. And I don't know if the the listeners know this, but you've had a lot of practical experience as well in the world of service desk and support specifically.
0: Yes. I uh I, I that's where my roots are. So, from uh, nineteen ninety two until nineteen ninety eight, uh, I worked for a company called. Uh, we were, were known as Medi- Med- Medical Manager. Then we were known as Healthion, and then we changed our name to WebMD. And if you're from North America, or at least the United States, do you guys do you guys have WebMD, or do you even? Is that a site that's known of in Canada?
1: Not really, but I have heard the brand, I'm Not, but I don't know explicitly.
0: It's usually where most uh, people from the United States, they'll go online and they'd look up their symptoms there so they can go to the doctor and tell the doctor exactly what's wrong with them so the doctor can negate any schooling he's at. Um, but we see that a lot in IT, though. Um, so, yeah, I was a, I was a help desk person there. I started out a uh, regular old help desk Joe and then ended up managing a, a team of people. Uh, you know the 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 most amazing thing I learned from uh, uh, those years uh, in, in the earliest part of my career being on a help desk. You know the most amazing thing I learned.
1: What was the most amazing thing you learned? I cannot
0: manage people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's kind of a critical success factor for service support, would you say?
0: Yeah, I it was great with our customers. I was just I was terrible. I was a terrible boss, is what I'm
1: saying. But you knew how to make it work for the customer, how to get them back, and how to get them back online.
0: Yes. No. No. I was good there but i learned something and, and i carried it through to this day as uh, i have to really segment myself i often tell people I, i'm i'm separated from folks for everyone's protection including my own
1: well you know this kind of comes in line with what we're talking about today because we're going to talk about self-service basically all right so how to uh do it yourself the diy of the support world
0: Right. And I think as a primer, when I think about self-service, because this was one of those things I was always very passionate about. And I think part of it was because I was, even though I was in IT in the late 80s and all through the 90s, I always liked to serve myself. You know, and back then we had, you know, the portals and forms and, and user use group, usenet groups where you could ask questions and stuff. And to this day, you can Google my name and go to Google and look under groups and find posts from the 90s where I was trying to figure out Unix and different types of Unix systems so I could support our customers and different problems they were having. But then somewhere, and I can only relate this to my own career, this whole idea of web self-service or a portal of some sort came into play. And that was the, the idea that you could go to a portal uh, usually on your internet. It wasn't even on the on the web. Remember
1: those internet days, Troy? Oh yes, I mean forum. I mean before internet, those bulletin boards. <laughs> yeah, I was at my my first Commodore sixty four. I had a modem, and I would actually get onto local bulletin boards and have uh, conversations with people in the virtual space, albeit you know within a hundred kilometers or miles from where I live. But still, <laughs> the idea of collaborating online it goes back quite a bit.
0: And then we took this internet portal where customers could go and they could log their issues. And then as our tools became web enabled, right, we then put the portal out on the web. And then sometimes you needed a VPN to get into it. Sometimes you didn't, but it was still self-service. But at the same time we did that, customers started also using other means of self-service. So not asking the person next to them or picking up the phone, but using web resources.
1: But tell me, Chris, don't, what kind of person would actually use these portals? Because that's always been what I've always asked myself. What percentage of the total population, uh, what kind of person or geek do you have to be or not be to want to even use self-service type activities? Because not everybody does. I don't think so. No, no, no. And part of the problem is,
0: well, I'll answer the question I won't talk about the problem. I think the percentage is very small. And... And I think part of it is this mindset. You probably look at a lot of, you know, work that Pink has pioneered. We're talking about culture and behavior around the types of people who do use it. Because I think the, the portal and self-service itself, if we were being honest with ourselves as IT professionals and why we built it, it, it should just be one of multiple options. Because people want to have lots of choices. There are times when I will use a. A form-based portal to submit an issue. There are times when I just I just don't even want to be bothered. It's either too complicated, too many drop downs. If there's a phone number on top of the portal, like I'll just skip the portal and say, "Well, there's a phone number. I'll just call the number." Uh, if there's chat in the portal, sometimes I'll use the chat. Sometimes I'll even though I'll skip the chat and still use the portal. So I think we have to be cognizant that, that especially in 2013, the knowledge workers today are all sorts of connected and they want to be able to use portals and tools when and where they want to use them. Self-service though as a as a methodology, I mean, is is I think from a service management perspective, and you know, I'd have to lean on you here, you know, it, it was probably was created to help offset and augment and maybe hopefully create some bi-directional ownership in the support process. I mean, when you look back at idle, what what are some of the earliest self-service mentions?
1: So yeah, self-service has been there for a while, but something you said earlier in the response to the question I asked was only a small percentage, mm. and I do believe that's true. There's a certain type of person, uh, myself included, who would prefer doing it themselves through because they're techie or they have that kind of you know, goal-orientedness. But the reality is, my experience, is that very few people have the patience to kind of go through either an FAQ online or a mm. portal or a forum post in response largely because, A, it's not fast enough. They want immediate response. This is, you know, this world of immediacy that drives us to want to talk to somebody and get our answers right away. You asked why, you know, what drove IT service management and self-service because it's been there for the longest time. You know, the reality is a lot of times what drove self-service was the wish to offload some of the capacity issues the service desk and frontline support was dealing with. Uh, they didn't, you know, they wanted to get passwords reset off their plate because that connotated about, you know, 40% of their workload. Um, their queues were overburdened. So can we we offline some of the activity into self-service basically to not support the customer so much, but to drive down costs and to drive some of the the heavy burden of support in their perspective into, you know, a do-it-yourself mode. So the thinking was, the more I can put on these portals, the more uh, FAQs I can get written. Mm. A certain percentage of people will go, a greater percentage of per- people will go if I do it well and I classify my data well. But in the essence, you know, it's for the most part always been in my perspective from a IT cost savings perspective versus a customer service. Now, that's my view and you might differ.
0: No, I mean, it's, it's, I think in that tool vendors and practitioners and customers and we all have some blame. Uh, when we look at this, I mean, as you were, as you were speaking, I, I was realizing that you and I might even be defining self-service differently.
1: Okay, <laughs> we might be. So there we go. So how would you define self-service, Chris?
0: Well, I, I was sitting there thinking about it because I was hearing you describe it. I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about. So then I thought, well, maybe I better tell you what I'm talking about. Because this whole time up until now, I was talking about actually what people would call issue logging. Is whereas you describe self-service as someone being able to just look and find knowledge. On their
1: own, yeah. Mine's broader.
0: Yeah, yours is much broader. And then you brought into the idea of automation and request management. So really, you know, you're looking at looking for knowledge and finding knowledge, logging issues, requesting things, automation, and then all the things that go with those different processes. I guess it's it's a many faceted tier because of my background. Because then I went from. Working on a help desk to working at Front Range Solutions uh, and a product called Heat, and it wasn't even Front Range it was called Bandata. But uh, Heat, you know, the, I I will always because of and this is ingrained in me because we didn't really didn't have anything but phone when I was on a help desk. Will always be a portal where you log issues. That's how when you say
1: self-service, that's what I think of. And that's one component of it, right? Yep. So. I mean, just being able to send in an email and with the right header in the subject line is, in a sense, a form of that self-service. Yeah. It's basically you could log your issue without having to talk to somebody first. That is part of self-service, but self-service goes much broader than that. I mean, just looking up and trying to find out the uh, the employee directory, right, and being able to go to a portal and find that yourself—that's the knowledge-seeking component you refer to. That's self-service. So the richer the this front automation of I need something done fixed or added to my toolkit the richer that experience can be the more I can do without intervening uh, without having an intervening conversation with someone in the back office of IT that to me is the, the broader sense of self-service
0: yep and, and there are really two components so if you do the knowledge component the issue component the issue logging component the re- the requesting of something component I want to go back a step because we talked about the very small percentage of people who do, search for knowledge or who do log their own issues or who do request something through a computerized portal or, or, or some other mechanism. And and I think if we're looking forward at self-service, you know, and self-service of the future, what types of things do we really need to consider? Because that, that percentage is small because of something, again, I think we're missing. And that's Choice. Choice. This is key. I, I I alluded to this earlier when I said sometimes I'll use chat if it's there. Sometimes I, I purposely won't. Because servicing myself means giving me the tools and processes that allow me to augment my day. So I might know I have a phone call in five minutes, which is going to make chat not possible, but make logging a form quick and easy. I might have... Uh, I might might receive an email as I'm requesting something and reply to it and, and skip the form to request something, therefore skipping all the great automation. So it's creating an environment that actually looks at the user and how the users might choose differently. So it's more
1: contextual. And environmental, because if you create a positive user experience, people will be more apt to use it you create a very convoluted and poorly marketed presentation of what you're trying to do and people get lost within three clicks right this is the the whole concept of don't make me think in web design then you're not going to achieve your, your results as well so it's context classification and presentation you have to have an entire user experience assessment here
0: yeah and, and i think one of the things that doomed issue logging for self service from the beginning was we tried to replicate incident logging, like by giving users forms with drop downs and, and lots of very specific information and not say, okay, if, if you're on this forum and you had to log in, we already know certain things about you. So maybe we shouldn't give you a blank
1: slate. So that's part of the user experience, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's the choice thing. I think choice is the biggest piece of it. I had someone come to me not too long ago and they said, my, my boss wants us to implement self-service in the broader context, largely because we want to reduce by 20%. What do you think about simply requiring all first-line interaction to always have to happen by portal alone? Mm. That was the question. And I had a response, but I want to hear your response because it's opposite day today. So the question is, all first-level response should have to be forced through a portal? All of it, right? So you only deal with a real human being after you've logged something, requested something, or you searched for something and couldn't find it?
0: I think you're signing your own termination certificate. Go on. Why? Again, if I'm forced to do that, then I have no choice in the matter. And, and contextual environmental choice is, is, is paramount to when starting a self-service Journey, or how to provide effective. Um, so, if you're telling me that I procedurally or process-wise have to go through the portal, then you're basically you're saying that your cost in supporting me outweigh my desire. You know, your desire to, for me to be happy.
1: <laughs> so this is what Ian keeps talking about outside in thinking, right? To to force somebody. For the best interest of IT, because I'm just too busy to deal with you as a you know, frontline support type activity, to always f- go through only one avenue for support or requests being online is basically getting it wrong. Who are we there to support? Who are we working for? Now, you see the same thing very frequently when you're dealing with software. Like Try to find a support number for <laughs> half of the online services you use. Try to find a f- support
0: number for your mobile carrier. If I have a question about my bill, I actually have to google Verizon customer support telephone number. If I try to actually just go to their site, log in to my account and find the phone number, not going to happen.
1: No. It's more common, right, than than not.
0: They make it hard to talk to people and people wonder why then you know we want BYOD. Do you know why I want BYOD? I don't want to come in and show off my phone. I know that I I I know that I, I can get support anytime I need it because it's mine. There you go. I picked the applications. I paid from. You know, it's more than bringing you new It's it's so much more than the BYOD de- de- debate. Even though I think it's not. It's just is is a self service debate.
1: So Chris is the real <laughs> driver for self service discussed with the existing service.
0: No, I I I, just, I mean that's gosh, you, this is reverse day. You sound just like me. Uh, and I'm, I'm, now I'm going to play safe and sound just like you. No, no, you don't play safe. You're actually, you're more bold than anyone gives you credit for. But um, no, I, I think there's two ways of looking at when someone does a, pulls a stunt, right? So as, an, as a consumer, you know, I work for BMC now, right? So there's two ways, and I'm going to meet with our CIO next week and his executive team to talk about how IT can demonstrate value better. Can you imagine? (laughs) They actually want to record it. Can you imagine seeing this, right? Uh, There's two ways you can look at me pulling a stunt. And a stunt would be me using a piece of software that's not approved. You can look at it as I'm trying to subvert the system and hurt the business because I don't understand fully the security concerns of using my own systems to get my job done. Or you can look at it as, hmm, if we believe he has the best interest of our company and our success at heart, and he's just trying to get his job done better, is there something we could learn, right? You know, I I always love it when we talk about service catalog because no one ever likes to talk about that pipeline discussion. You and I have with business relationship management and a lot of topics on service management or practitioner radio. But that pipeline is so important. How does that get filled? And and more importantly, when we talk about continual service improvement, how? How if we're not... (laughs) What through a survey through, through physically talking to people who has time to talk to you, I mean, caller ID I always say caller I don't right if I see a number I, I, that enables me to block people, right? It doesn't enable me to enables me to make choices.
1: It augments me. So it's all it's all about choice. There's there are sometimes what I would prefer because of speed and you know access to go do it myself. Sometimes I need to speak to somebody. You definitely need to offer the choice. In fact, sometimes I don't want to speak to people. It's it's too, I don't want to sit in a queue to, to ask a five minute question or a 30 second request, right? Uh, just put me to the, the self-service and let it go. But that's a certain type of request or requirement. But if I'm hard down and I'm not being able to do my business, I don't want to use ticket logging for self-service, mm-hmm. right? I, only believe, I believe self-service should be um, I've got a curiosity that I want to scratch. I have a request for something that I don't need immediately. For me, self-service should be more about a non-urgent element. Mm, that's Troy's opinion, though, because it's, it's totally away from where you, fo- you began the conversation.
0: No, and, and I, agree, I agree with that completely. But to me, this goes a lot to things I talk about when I talk about social media. To me, self-service is an augmentation of my ability to consume search request for information online. And sometimes I want to consume that quickly and I'll just do the FAQ if it's, if it's a good one. Sometimes I, I need a human interaction because I'd spend four hours since I've actually talked to anyone. I will pick up the phone, even though I don't have to. If I'm angry, I'll pick up the phone, even though I'd probably be better for both of us if I used a form. <laughs> if you look at self-service and then how it's happening with social media, there's this almost this entitlement culture that's happening online, right?
1: It, which is tragic. Well, and it's also misleading sometimes because when you're not speaking to people who know or pretend they know what they're talking about, you can often get the wrong information. That's the challenge with doing Google uh, support and using the forums. You know, I, I do that a lot. I'm a, I'm a techie and I'm a geek and I go to the forums for the very same unix questions that you ask sometimes. Mm. But the reality is half the time, you know, you're being led down blind alleys. Because it's the blind leading the blind.
0: The most controversial thing I've said on this topic uh, when I'm talking about social support at conferences now for four years is there are two types of people. And and I'm going to describe the type of person I am. I'll leave you to figure out the other type of person. I would rather have the wrong answer immediately than the right answer an hour from
1: now. Yeah, well, that's the immediacy that I... I was mentioning earlier that the support requires immediacy often, and people don't want to use it. But see, but that's the thing. I don't even care if it's the right answer. You just want to try something. Yeah. I want to do. I need to move because digitally, I'm
0: stuck in a chair with my BMI going through the roof for hours at a time. I need to do something to make this work. Give me the wrong answer. At least give me motion. That's why progress bars and surveys, I think, are so, such a powerful weapon for good and for bad. Because you're like, I'm not finishing this. The other thing is, I think if you look at self-service as it exists in some of the newer companies in Silicon Valley today, you know, they, they, they call these systems feedback and engagement systems. And, and I, I like to remind people, these feedback and engagement systems look a lot like our self-service, except they actually partner with the customer in the exploration. So th- think about right now, the, the portals I've always dealt with have always only ever offered me two choices be mad at tech, or ask tech for something. So as a customer, I can go in and say, this isn't working, or give me this. Very parent-child-like, a very immature child-like relationship. But in feedback and engagement systems, you look at something like Get Satisfaction, they offer you two other options, which are share an idea and give praise. If we just added to our portals, just added just a feature, even in the dropdown, be happy, or, 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 or send a smile, it's interesting how much the number of problems that get logged through portals actually come down, because we don't give people these options to do anything other than ask
1: or, or 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 be angry. Yeah, I wonder how many smileys we'd actually get. But yeah, that's that's an interesting concept, and I I can see where you're going. At least you're giving them the opportunity to do more than just complain. Or- there,
0: there are stats on that. So you look at a company like Get Satisfaction, and I've had their. Their CEO Wendy Lee on, on the ITSM Weekly show, and you can you can listen to that pod. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And they've been they've done research on this. If they take away the uh, give praise option, the number of problems that people report exponentially go up. They put that tab four tabs across the top: report a problem, give praise, uh, share an idea. Uh, the four tabs across the top. They give they put give praise back. The number of problems actually decreases. Coming into the portal and physically seeing the option to be happy as one of the four things you could do reduces
1: the number of people who report problems. And that's interesting. I never thought of that. There's another category of self-service we haven't actually, actually haven't spoken about, and that's how you can actually schedule an appointment for real live interaction, right? Because if you don't want to sit in that queue and not know how long it will take for that <laughs> queue to open up for you to be the you know the first the next person in line. You know when you go to the Apple Store and you're yep. you're setting up a scheduled appointment with an Apple Genius, right? Or you're you're scheduling to have somebody maintain your um, your furnace in your basement. Yep. Or even there's a you know there's recent applications around. I think one's called Doodle where you can actually find a way to find a convenient way to meet with someone.
0: Yep.
1: These are actually cool ways to look at in a professional services concept ways to schedule an appointment for service. Right? where I can actually talk to somebody and go off and do what I need to do and be ready for my appointment and the person I assume is going to be there at the same time I am.
0: Yep. And ultimately, that scheduling for service, that concierge bar and all these other terms, they're using genius bar. I mean, I use Apple genius bar. The interesting thing about the Apple genius bar, I'm not sure if you've experienced this yet, but at least for me here in Colorado, it's gotten to the point where I'll make an appointment and for the, consistently for the last six months, they're always 10 to 15 minutes late. Apple is starting to hit the wall the IT. And I told Apple this the other day. I was there. I said, you guys are hitting the wall we hit a decade ago. Right? you created all these great tools. Now you can't keep up. On Apple's own website, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, two weeks ago, now before they'll let you make an appointment, they tell you to reboot your phone. <laughs> Apple is becoming
1: our IT desk that we invented. Yeah. One of the challenges I think Apple's experiencing as well is they're trying to tightly tune it too far. Like They've built no slack into their scheduling system. No, no. They believe they can solve everything in 15-minute spots. That's not true when there's conversation happening. Yeah. Right? and unexpected context.
0: And allowing people to be people. So I, I think I love the idea of scheduling because, again, that allows me the choice... Right when I look at my calendar and look at my day and how I interact with these things, of putting things in places where they make sense, you know, if I have back-to-back webinars and then I have to write something and I've got emails in the middle, I'll make
1: different self-service choices. And then, and then you're entering into a covenant with that supplier of service that they will also be available at that same time. It's it's basically you're setting up a rendezvous for support.
0: I'm, I'm creating covenant with them. And if you truly believe in this idea of social IT, a covenant with their customers and their other employees, right? Because I don't have to have just a relationship with the IT department, right? I can look at some of the systems like, you know, Chatter and Yammer and some of these other systems that they've put into place so that they all kind of augment each other. The problem we get into, and I think, Troy, this is is the crux, this is the biggest problem we're facing as an industry right now, is quantification, right? Because everybody wants all these cool new things because they would help, but ultimately we're not going to put them in place until we're absolutely sure we can measure them. And a lot of these tools... The technology is there to measure it, but we just haven't figured it out yet. I, I I sometimes joke around, and I said this on our last show: we have godlike technology and wooden rulers. And if we just were to consider, sometimes okay, let me give you an example. Sometimes, if I want to, I use Foursquare a lot to check in to find out information about places, what what I should eat, what, you know, tips and tricks and that sort of thing. That's an extra step that I really shouldn't have to do. I mean. Uh, the fact that I'm there, you know, I should be able to opt on my phone. Google has something called Google Now that if I walk into a restaurant, it pushes me that restaurant's menu without me having to look anything up. The, the technology's there. We, we have to start to have an open and honest conversation of, well, what metrics really matter in these new self-service paradigm shifts?
1: Well, part of that metrics that matter is experience, right? Because what is self-service supposed to do? To our earliest point in this call... It's supposed to give you a choice. It's supposed to augment your support experience, not be the only choice that you're given to enter the process, right? It's supposed to enhance. It's supposed to be about the customer, not about IT saving money. So let's go down that road. What are some experience measurements that people can use? Happy faces. I mean, that's what we do at our own conference, right? That's our, we have the happy face sheet. (laughs) Big smile or frowning. What,
0: what, What else do we measure at conferences? How many people leave early? from a session yeah that's true that's dropping out of the queue right we have a lot of we have metrics the problem i think as an industry is we don't say them out loud because we think everybody understands them it wasn't until i was a speaker at a conference and i got to know some of the behind the scenes because i've spoken at conferences all around the globe now that i realized they keep track of how many people leave during your session as a metric right but what was if we started keeping track of how many people came early how many people were on time? How many people sat in the back of the room versus the front of the room? How many people asked questions? What was the out of the people who asked questions, what you know, what was the percentage? But 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 no, you know, we don't we don't to me it's a failing because we don't want to say openly, share these metrics, right? And it
1: might be because we we can only measure so many things, right? And we tend to measure uh, the risk versus the, the benefits in the ones you gave were the those were the, the compliment idea that you mentioned earlier. Mm. The positive measures.
0: So you know, you know, there's a there's a there's a whole practitioner radio I think we should have at some point in the year just around metrics.next. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey Chris, I get the opportunity to ask you what time it is because we're already there. Mm. You know what time it is? Yeah, I think I do. It's Chris's Thunderbolt tip of the day.
0: Wow, you did that amazing. So when considering self-service options, always put yourself in the seat and the role of the customer, understanding that their time, their environment, and their context will change the tools and processes that they select when
1: using self-service. Wow, that was profound. Well, Chris, boy, these 30 minutes do go fast.
0: They go faster when you're on the other side, don't they?
1: I love this. This opposite day is kind of cool. Yeah, we'll have to do
0: opposite day once every six months. <laughs> Although I have to admit, I like it better when I get to talk to you because I get to learn more. I like that
1: put you on the hot seat. That's what I like to do.
0: Oh, man, I'm sitting here. It's weird because even my palms are sweating and I never sweat. My palms never sweat during practitioner radio. <laughs> Chris, we'll see you in about two weeks. Take care. Thanks, Troy. See everyone in two weeks.